Hello. Hope everyone is COVID free. Before we get started on episode three, oh, that rhymed. Nice. Free and three. I have one question for you, people. What have you done in the last seven days to promote your future filmmaking career? Hmm? Have you looked into film schools? Have you looked into acting classes? Workshops? What have you done? Because if you haven't done anything, nothing's going to happen. Remember? You have to motivate, ladies and gentlemen. For you writers out there, did you write your paragraphs? Did you think up your story idea and write it out in three paragraphs? Hmm? Okay, I told you every week I'm going to check on you. Come on, this shit's not going to happen on its own. You got to take that first step. Do it. Do it now. At least if you're not ready to jump in feet first, dip your toes in. Begin to build a path to that career or a path to that dream of making a movie. All right, enough of that. Let's start episode three. I'm so excited. Hello, everybody. We have a guest today, and uh, when this podcast was in, in its infancy in my brain, I always knew this man was going to be my first guest. I can't do anything without this man. My wife bought me a t-shirt, and on that t-shirt it says, I care about my horse and maybe three other people. Well, this guy is one of those three other people. We were in film school together for four years. We lived together for four years. Two years on campus and two years off campus. His name is Mr. Kent Edens. How are we, sir? I'm doing well, Sir Fugit. Good. Or, or, or Big Dave, as I like to call you. This is going to be a, a quickie because uh, Kent came down with some kind of a cold and he's still a little congested and coughs every once in a while. But, uh, he got a new microphone and he wanted to try it out. So uh, we're going to talk about film school. And then when he feels better, we will bring him back for a good long conversation where we will delve into his projects. He's got three projects he's working on that are freaking exciting as anything to me. And hopefully they'll be exciting to you too. And we'll get into those and, uh, and we'll just talk about the business. Today, we'll keep it short. The first episode of my podcast, we talked about film school. And the debate, you know, some people believe film school is a great thing. Some people say you don't need film school. And if you remember, I said, if you're going to be a cinematographer, you have to go to some kind of school because you have to get hands on with the camera, learn lighting, learn lighting temperatures, all that stuff. Kent Edens, um, why don't you tell us about your four years in film school, uh, what you majored in and what your prime focus was, and then uh, tell us if you think it's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, my focus, uh, uh, second two years, primarily on screenwriting, cinematography, producing, et cetera, directing. Uh, I chose the producing route. I think mine focused more on uh, the UPM, uh, you know, production management, uh, production coordination. I always said producing in that regard was more like um, you've got this giant puzzle that you need to put the pieces together, but the pieces are always changing shape on you. And that does not change. 
I've been a producer uh, for 17 years, um, a company in Knoxville, Tennessee called Jewelry Television. I am uh, marketing, so I still do, do the same thing. It's more uh, a mixture of uh, production management and uh, creative. However, I would say that a lot of the focus in film school was uh, on the production coordination side. I think you'd probably have a lot more creative input, at least as far as um, story goes uh, in screenwriting. And certainly when we were in film school, the key, uh, our dean was uh, Dr. Sam Grog, and his focus for our uh, inaugural class moving forward was always storytelling. And I always said, um, maybe I didn't really think of it at the time. I was still just really interested in the medium, learning all the ins and outs of all the different crew positions, et cetera. But I, I, I think it hasn't been, uh, but just in the last few years that it suddenly dawned on me that I'm still a storyteller. I'm always a storyteller at heart. Uh, I just love the medium of film. In that regard, I would say uh, if you're going into crew positioning and stuff like that, if you want to be learn, you know, how to work on a set, if you're going to be a, a grip, a gaffer, something other, those sorts of things, you can you can enter the industry, you know, as a freelancer, or you can just get on the sets any way you can. Uh, I would say in that regard, no, you don't need uh, film school. Although the, the problem that you may run in is the sheer numbers of it. If you're going into the Atlanta market or the Los Angeles market, I'm sure the, the numbers are hard. There's so many people vying for the same positions. I would say just go for it and jump into the actual workings of a film set or a film crew. However, if you're a creative filmmaker, if you're interested in storytelling, screenwriting, uh, really the nuts and bolts of the narrative, I think film school is a good idea. And of course, if you have a literary background, you've got an advantage there. Uh, you know how stories are put together, etc. And I think you can massage those, the literary architecture into the screenwriting. It's, it's twofold. It really is. And, and I think I would come to this conclusion today far more than I would have 30 years ago. I, 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 if I could go back and tell my 23-year-old self this question, or ask my 23-year-old self this question, do you want to go to film school or do you want to just jump onto a set and have this information? I might have just gone off and just dove in and jumped on a set and worked my th way through it. Because I think producers, at least as far as my uh, avenue in film school, producing, I think the best producers know all the positions. They know what the ins and outs are. They know what the where the problems lie. And I think the mechanics of the way a, a film is put together from development to production all the way through to distribution and exhibition, you know, if they know all those ins and outs, they're far more, well, they're a better producer. For those of you that don't know, uh, I did mention, and Kent also mentioned, that we were the very first class of filmmaking at the North Carolina School of the Arts in 93. Mm -hmm. And the first two years, you... Uh, are subjected to every position there is. I mean, you, you you get to take history and you get directing and you get, or I'm sorry, writing, cinematography. You pretty much do every crew position on each other's projects. And then at the end of your second year, you declare a major mm -hmm. and Mr. Eden's declared producing. So there was uh, producing, writing, cinematography, directing. Am I missing one? 
No, I think that's it. We didn't have editing at the time. Oh, that's that's right. I thought we had an editor, a couple of editors, no? We did, uh, but I don't think that there was a, a focus in editing until maybe the next year. I might be wrong. Maybe you're right. But anyway, you know, our diploma doesn't say, Kent's diploma doesn't say producing. It just says filmmaking. Right. That's correct. So we, all, we all got a, a diploma that says filmmaking. And uh, I think we started with like 70. If you remember, they originally were going to take 50. And then they bumped it up. Was it 70 or 65? I believe you're right. Mm-hmm. Yes, I believe you're and then just we about ended right. Up, we ended up graduating, what, 26 or 27? That sounds about right. The North Carolina School of the Arts, you have to be invited back every year. Oh, I've ladies forgotten and, that. That is right. Ladies That's and gentlemen, right. let me repeat that. You have to be invited back every year. So if, if you remember, Kent, the, the faculty at the end of the first year came together and they would like discuss us. Golly, I haven't thought about this in years. Wow, you are correct. And then the cuts came down. Remember, they, it's just like in a movie. They put the names up on a board. Yes. Our, our dean was Sam Grog, Dr. Sam Grog. Mm-hmm. And he left uh, the North Carolina School of the Arts, and I believe he went to AFI after he left UNC, right? That is correct. Well, I said UNC, but now they've changed their name to the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Yes. So when, we, when we were there, it was just the North Carolina School of the Arts, but now they're the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. I Kent was lucky enough that Dr. Grog was his professor. And I think, remind me, how many producers were there? Were there like three or four? I think there were three or, or four. Um, it's funny. I literally just had that. Uh, I literally just found our inaugural class roster. Oh, of those the graduating. Yeah, my mom had uh, had kept it. Literally just just found it the other day. So mm, I would say there's like three or four producers. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I found? If you remember. Variety Magazine had a full-page oh, ad, yes. mm-hmm. and it had the entire roster of the first year. And then when we graduated, they ran another full-page ad, and it just had our, the graduating members. That is correct. It, it was like, congratulations to the first filmmaking class at NCSA. And I think the first one was, congratulations to the first filmmaking class, something like that. Do you remember yeah. that? Yes, it actually said... Uh, remember these names. Ah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I think he did the same thing um, uh, with the full graduating class uh, in 97. I think it was remember these names. I believe he did the same thing, which is nice. <laughs> so, yeah, so the dean of the school was teaching the uh, producers those last two years. And, and refresh my memory, those two years – did you take writing also, or did you just stick with producing classes? I think I just stuck with producing classes. If I had to do it over again, I would uh, include uh, screenwriting. As you and I have discussed, my my taste in narrative length has changed drastically over the last 20-some years. I'm far more interested in the series and the amount of narrative character arc. You can delve so much more into... Uh, a series now as opposed to a two and a half hour time block uh, at the theater. That's probably a topic for another <laughs> podcast, but honing your screenwriting craft is imperative at any level, no matter what the length. Yeah. That's, you know, you know, I've had this discussion. We're just so much into series now more than movies. Mm-hmm. 
Because like you say, it's just you you have so much time with these characters and it's it's more fulfilling. It's more yes. you care about these characters more than you do just an hour and a half or two hours. Yes, it's actually I remember going to a film about five years ago with a friend of mine and I sat there and watched it. And hey, it was a solid screenplay. I don't even remember the name of it. I'm not even going to tell who was in it. I don't want to be derogatory. Uh, but I sat there, watched it. I was like, okay, this is going to happen. Now this is going to happen. This is, And right through it, I nailed it all the way through. And I'm like, golly, this is getting bad. If I can sit there at a two and a half hour movie and practically telegraph, you know, what's happening next. I'm not, not saying that I could do that every time, but for a lot of the releases, I could. I just really love these series. And I think if the, the series creators, which are the the writers, uh, one of my favorites, I, I think many people love Breaking Bad, uh, Vince Gilligan uh, being the head writer of the show. He had eight writers, I believe, on that show. And they knew pretty well how that thing was going to go through that 55 episode arc, as opposed to, you know, a series that would start on a network from 1990 back, you know, and you don't know if you're going to, if it's going to be picked up and the audience is left in the lurch, you know, when they cancel the series. And so nowadays people, you get a full series arc from beginning to end with no worry of it being canceled or a lot less uh, chance of that happening. And I think it's far more fulfilling with storytelling nowadays. All right. So you say you would recommend film school. For certain things, yes. You're right along the lines with me. Mm-hmm. I think um, what we did the first two years when you had to crew every position, mm-hmm. I think that was priceless. Oh, very immersive. Yes, totally. Because you know exactly what every crew member has to go through. That is true. And I think whether you go to film school or you just dive into the filmmaking process. I mean, everything is so accessible now. Uh, But I've said this repeatedly. You either gravitate toward being on set or you gravitate toward post, meaning if you're on a set, you're painting the palette with everyone. You're getting all the pieces. But when you get to post, if you're an editor, that's where the story comes together. And you can change that story. You can change the meaning. You can change the reaction of a character from one take to the next. You can, there's a certain level of directing a second time when you get into the edit. And that is where my passion still lies. And that is something I would totally recommend film school. Uh, if you had a really good editing program, because there are, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's priceless, absolutely priceless. And knowing you for all this time, I know you're really into editing now, but I have a question for you. If you had to do it over again, would you have declared editing or producing? I would probably, I would probably go the editing route. I really would because um, at least in the context of how I was stating what we learned about producing, you know, we were learning the mechanics of production coordination. I've done that. I was, uh, I used to be pretty good at putting out fires. I have to think about it. <laughs> a lot more now. And it's not something that's challenging to me now. So I'm answering this question with a little biased hindsight. I still have a passion for editing. Oh my gosh, give me that footage and tell me what you want and and watch it come together. Oh my gosh, when you talk about it, it really 
I still have a fire for editing because again, that is where the story comes together. Um, I, I think anyone, I mean, there's individuals in other uh, occupations that do some type of production coordination. It doesn't have to be film. It can be mechanical or uh, production coordination for, I don't know, some factory. You know, that's kind of a, a, it is nuanced in the film industry. I'm not saying you can coordinate something in a factory and then go right into film. Oh my God, I'm not saying that at all. It is putting methodical, putting tab A to slot B, making sure all these pieces and parts are in the same position and it's constantly changing and you've got to be ready to fix something when you know a location goes awry or a schedule goes afoul. I've done that long enough, but there's always new challenges to editing. So sit me down in front of a computer and edit um, I love watching those scenes come together. I, I I will sit and watch a series now, and um, naturally I'm looking. Oh, how did they like that? Okay, well that's what if they used a soft gel on that, or or wow, look at the look at the gels that they're using to color the background, or and I'm looking at the focal length. I do all that still, but what I really go back and look at is watching how they edit it. So yeah, I may have gone, I, I, I may have, uh, I may go back to the editing route. I do remember, you've just caused me to remember an occasion in one of our uh, intro to edit classes. Deneen Rowan was our editing teacher and I thought she was absolutely lovely. And another fellow was, and we were on these tape-based things. It was, it was not, it was, uh, it was linear. Oh gosh. But I remember her saying, you're using the same take for this whole length. You know, you can go back and you've got, if you've got that cutaway, you can cut to your second take and use this portion. And I remember hearing her say that and I'm like, wow, that guy didn't think of that. So my, the wheels started turning on how to manipulate every single frame. And then when I got out of film school, a friend of mine, he wanted to shoot a horror movie, which we did. And I'm, if you watch it now, it looks like, um, hey, it, it cuts together perfectly. And I learned how to edit frame by frame. I remember Hitchcock, he was oh, he was a frame by frame cutter. He could tell, and I'm the same way. I could sit there and play with a scene and, you know, a bat of an eye or a, just, you know, the way you're cutting the thirds out on the action of moving from one person to a, the next in a, in a scene or literally just changing the performance. That's astounding to me. You can have a scene where they're talking about the same thing at every take, but you can change it just minutely with a look or a, an eye roll or, you know, or take a line of dialogue out. And it's just, as you can tell, I can talk about that all day. I absolutely love it. You've become very fond of editing over the years. Mm -hmm. And now you think that's actually where your passion lies for sure. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, at least you have a passion for it. That's, and that is key. That is key. Yeah. It's in the first episode of this podcast. That's all I talked about was passion. You got to have a passion. Mm -hmm. All right, buddy. Well, uh, I will let you go and I hope you feel better. I am COVID free. I thought I had a cold, double check. Turns out it was, I was negative, stayed isolated until I got it checked out and it's simply a cold. So stay safe out there. Yes. Thank you for asking about it. All right, bud. Well, thanks for doing this. And uh, your microphone sounds amazing. I lucked up. <laughs> I'm glad it's working out, Dave. And I look forward to joining you multiple times in the future. Very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Let me know. You, you will be a reoccurring guest because we can talk to you about producing. We can talk to you about writing. We can talk to you about editing. Absolutely. I'm Plus, I want to talk to you about your projects that you have coming up. Is that, um, you referenced the horror movie. Is, is that online for people to see by any chance? It is. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's called Terror Times 
two, and it's a two-part anthology. The first part was called You Can't Take It With You, and the second part is called Rathburn Returns. The first episode is kind of like a Twilight Zone episode with a kind of a love triangle that has a supernatural twist to it. And the second one is uh, about a writer who goes off to an isolated location to uh, adapt his literary works into a screenplay. And it has a kind of a Stephen Kingish uh, twinge to it. So it's fun. I, I really, I've got a very special place in, in my uh, heart for that film. Um, it, it taught me how to edit. It really did. And that's, that's what you did on it. Did you, did you contribute to writing? I, uh, I wrote, uh, the first one. Uh, oh my gosh. I can go back and listen to some of the dialogue and I'm like, Oh my God. But yes, I wrote, um, the first one. I co-wrote the second one, but my, the director did a rewrite on the second one, which I was so happy for. And he added a particular element to it that I just loved. And I let him direct it. And, um, uh, I produced all of it and, uh, it, it could never, I could have never gotten that to happen today. Everybody did it for free. The coordination on it was just amazing. You could not have, with that many elements that were going on, uh, there's no way you could have done it today for what we did. But yeah, it's called Terror Times 2 and it's on YouTube and it's, uh, Terror Times 2 is in bold red print. And, uh, I think if you actually type in that, you get a, an old, uh, Rock Hudson McMillan and Wife episode that comes up too, but it's that's what it looks like on the little thumbnail on YouTube. So, uh, who directed the first one? Me. Oh, okay. So you directed the first one, and then mm-hmm. your other guy directed the second one. And I, t- I like I said, I, I'm really happy that I knew I knew the coverage that I needed on it. And it's hey, go back and look at a go back and look at an old television episode from you know they were conservatively shot. You know when we were still on film, everything's very very you know it's not like digital. You know, where you can do 15 million takes. I don't advise that, but you can. Uh, but I knew exactly what pieces and parts I needed. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a great uh, a great first time out. And that really taught me the basics on it. And I learned all that frame cutting and I learned, made all my mistakes on that. You make a good point uh, comparing film, actual film running through the camera uh, compared to digital, but you still are fighting the clock. Yes, yeah, I mean, you do have the option of shooting more takes and it's not going to cost because you're not burning through 35 millimeter film or 16 millimeter film, but you still got that tick, 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 tick. You still mm-hmm. got to shoot 124 pages in 18 days, just like we did on the hike. That is correct. And it may not cost you, it may not only cost you in time and how much you how much time of the day that you have but it may cost you in performance you better know your actors and you better know their abilities that you do not have them do it too many times you got to boy if you got to really that comes into the directing side of things you just have to pick the right actor for the right part you better know you just better know how much you can uh, get out of them with each take and don't overdo it and that's that every single project is different. Yeah, getting performances, it's it's a vampire for uh, for time. It just mm-hmm. sucks time away when you have to just keep working on a take, take after take after take, trying to get that performance. So yeah, mm-hmm. I totally agree. Best thing, uh, uh, in my opinion, uh, the best thing an actor do. I, I like the classically trained actors. I remember Peter O'Toole talking to Charlie Rose 
uh, one time and Charlie said, Peter, you have a habit of, uh, at least on American sets, you have a habit of walking around and you're running your lines constantly. And he said, of course I am. He said, because you, an actor's job is to know those lines so well that they are coming out of my mouth, just like I'm in this conversation with you. They have to be yours. Once they're locked into your mind, then you can do anything with the performance. You can listen to your director. You can play yourself. Those lines, knowing those lines are imperative. And I think that's why I love the classically trained actor. I absolutely think that is a wonderful way to go. Yep. They're not like that anymore, are they? No. Uh, Hey, you know, it's very different ways of doing things. That just happens to be mine. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 And no. Find out what works for you. That's correct. All right, buddy. Well, it's always good to talk movies. And ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, Kent and I can talk movies for uh, movie making, filmmaking for hours on end. Exactly. This was only going to be 10 minutes and now we're like 40 minutes. Wow. There you go. See? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. And uh, like I said, the mic sounds great. And uh, just let me know when you're ready to do another one when you're fully recovered. You got it. I should be... Well, on top of things in another day or two. So let's go. I love you. I love you. Oh, and uh, free Britney. <laughs> <laughs>